Well, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it, I mean, Tom said, we're just going to bless your hearts with joy. Isn't it amazing how music can fill our hearts with joy? We're going to talk about another Christmas song today that I think is also awesome. Before we get to that, though, if we haven't met yet, my name's John. I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary. It's so good to see each and every one of you. It's been my privilege and joy this fall to be preaching every week for Calvary Online. So I've been journeying through the book of Hebrews alongside you guys, and I've had an opportunity to travel around to several of our other campuses this fall too. But today we are turning the page from Hebrews to Christmas. Are you ready? Are you ready for Christmas? It seems to me it doesn't matter how early in the year the stores put the Christmas decorations out or how quickly cozy switches to Christmas music. It's always like a sprint to the finish. We always need a little more time to get ready. There's last-minute gifts. We're scrambling to send Christmas cards, and I don't know about you, but we're rushing out the door to get to the next Christmas party. So are you ready for Christmas. I fear I may have lost some of you in your mental to-do list that you still have to get ready before you can be prepared. I want to spend time together today talking about how we might get ready for Christmas. Not logistically though, not with gift wrapping, not with invitations to parties, not with food preparation, but be spiritually ready for Christmas. And so I want to spend some time together today with the person who I think was probably most ready for Christmas, the one who probably thought about it more than any of us ever have, and someone who I think can help the rest of us get ready. So open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke is the third gospel In the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the gospels tell the historical account of the birth the life, the ministry, the death, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. And Luke has the most detailed account of his birth. Luke 1 tells us how an angel appeared to a young girl named Mary and told her that by the power of God, she would conceive and bear a son, a Savior, After hearing this message from the angel, Mary goes to visit her relative, Elizabeth. And then in some of the most moving words in the historical account of the birth of Jesus, in what is the first song of Christmas, Mary says in Luke chapter 1, verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices. In God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. 
He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel. In remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Our Father in heaven, as we spend time together in this song, these beautiful words of your servant Mary, I pray pray that you would prepare the hearts in this room, each and every one of us, to be ready for Christmas, to worship your Son, Jesus Christ, who came to the earth as a baby, and who is to be worshipped. We pray all of this in his powerful and holy name. Amen. Why was Mary ready for Christmas? I want to give you three reasons. I think Mary was ready for Christmas because she remembered the Word of God. The closing words of her song link together what's about to happen at Christmas with God's promises in the past. She says in verses 54 and 55 of Luke 1, He, God, has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His offspring forever. Mary reaches all the way back to God's covenant to Abraham. We spoke about this a few times in our study in the book of Hebrews together. But Abraham is the founding father of the nation of Israel. He lived 2,000 years before Mary sings these words. And God promised to Abraham that he would give Abraham a great name. That from him would come a great nation of people. And that through him, all nations in the world would be blessed. Mary knows that God made this promise because she knows the Word of God. And amazingly, she connects God's covenant with Abraham to what's about to happen, what's coming at Christmas. That God's promise to Abraham would ultimately be fulfilled in his offspring, the Messiah, her baby, the Son of God, Jesus. Now, this isn't the only mention of the Word of God in Mary's song. In fact, one Old Testament scholar has said he thinks there are about 12 references to the Old Testament dripped throughout Mary's song, which is commonly referred to as the Magnificat. None of them are direct quotes. But Mary's language is soaked in the Scriptures. She was a woman of the Word. And it's remarkable because, as many of you know, she probably was no more than 15. Probably 13 years old when Jesus was born. And yet, out of the overflow of her heart, she sings a song that is just filled from front to end with the Old Testament Scriptures. She was young, but very wise, which are not mutually exclusive. Especially not when you are steeped in the Word of God like Mary was. She found in God's Word the language of her heart. She was able to find in the Bible language that gave words to what she was feeling and experiencing. 
through the Bible, she could express her deepest thoughts and emotions. And she clearly prioritized the Word of God in her life. It was the most important voice. There are so many voices that are clamoring for our attention today. Like, how much content is there in our world today? It's overwhelming. I got an email this week from someone I don't even know who announced that they're launching a podcast and wanted me to know about it. I thought, thank you, that's great. (laughs) I read in 2018 there were something like 500,000 active podcasts in the world, 2018. Today there's more than 2 million. Do you have time to listen to all of them? And they are voices that want to influence us, to speak to us, to shape us and mold us. I think the most recent estimate of the Netflix library, if you watched the entire catalog, it's 36,000 hours. If you pressed play after church today, you would be watching Netflix constantly and uninterrupted for the next four years. You have time for that? The average Netflix subscriber watches more than three hours of Netflix a day. When we are influenced by content like that, it can't help but shape us, shape our worldview. And all of those voices are clamoring for you to watch the newest binge-worthy series, to spend your time listening to that new podcast with that influential voice. Can I be one voice in the wilderness that says, let us, like Mary, prioritize the Word of God. If we are to be shaped by any voice, let us be shaped by God's, like Mary was. And look at how it influenced her in this critical moment of her life. By the way, did you know you can subscribe to Calvary's podcast? Now, maybe you think, that's fine, but there's not really anything relevant for me in the Word of God. I mean, it's kind of out of date. Besides that, I I have a very specific, unique life circumstance that the Word of God couldn't possibly relate to what's going on in my life. Really? Do you think Mary's circumstance was unique? Anybody else been visited by an angel to be told that they would conceive and give birth to the Son of God? And yet, remarkably, Mary finds in God's Word relevance to her very unique in the history of the world situation. She finds relevance by remembering the Word of God. And specifically, she seems to remember one story in particular. Now, Jesus is the only child who has been born of a virgin with no earthly father. But there are other miraculous births in the Bible. Mary sings this song in the presence of Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. She's pregnant with John the Baptist at the time. She was an older woman, barren for her entire life. And similarly, the angel Gabriel visits her husband, Zechariah six months before the angel Gabriel visits Mary, to let them know 
that there is a miraculous birth to happen in their family, that God has opened her womb and that she will give birth to the forerunner, John the Baptist, who will come to tell people to prepare themselves for the Messiah. We think of Sarah, the wife of Abraham, who gave birth to Isaac when she was 90 years old. Rebecca, Rachel, Samson's mother, all, all of these Old Testament figures struggled with infertility. But God intervened and they gave birth. But the biblical story that seems to resonate with Mary most deeply is the story of Hannah, the mother of Samuel. Hannah had also longed for a child and prayed that God would give her a son. And if he did, she promised to the Lord that she would give her son in service to God and that her son would serve God with his life. And God answered Hannah's prayer and Samuel was born. Samuel becomes the last judge in Israel, an important prophet, and the one who anoints both Saul and David as the first kings of Israel. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah prays to God after Samuel is born. And listen to how similar Mary's words are to Hannah's. 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 1, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Verse 4. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Do you hear it, the similarities between Mary's song and Hannah's? Let's look at a couple verses. Verse 1 of Hannah's song, My heart exalts in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Hannah says, And holy is his name. There is none holy like the Lord, and and holy is his name. He has brought down the mighty from the thrones and exalted from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And Hannah says, The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. I think one more. Mary says, He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. And Hannah says, Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry, have ceased to hunger. Mary found herself in the story of Scripture, in her very unique circumstance. We can find our story there too. How often do we read, read God's Word and something just jumps off the page as if it was written for us? It's the living and active Word of God. I love that none of the Old Testament references in Mary's songs, song are direct quotes. 
I think memorizing Scripture is important. It's, it's a good spiritual discipline for all of us. But simply memorizing words doesn't necessarily transform our heart and shape us. But here is Mary who is so deeply influenced by the story of the Scripture that as she sings, it just flows from her. Not rote memorization, but out of the abundance, the overflow of her heart. Her mouth speaks. Remembering God's Word in a way that's relevant to our life, I think that's one of the ways we get ready for Christmas. I want to be like Mary, who is so shaped by the Word of God that she can't help but speak it and sing it. Maybe we all could think of some of the ways in the next few days, as we get closer and closer to Christmas, about how we could spend time in the Christmas narrative. Luke chapters 1 and 2, Matthew chapter 1 and 2, and remember what God did that first Christmas and prepare our hearts to worship Him. One of our favorite Boyle family Christmas stories that we laugh about every year, I think was the first year that Lindsay and I were married. My dad was still alive at the time. We were gathered around the Christmas table ready to have dinner. In fact, we all had our plates filled with hot food. We sat down to dinner and my dad said, let's pray. We closed our eyes and somehow, unbeknownst to the rest of us, he had smuggled his Bible to the table. And he opens to Luke chapter 1. And begins, with all of our eyes closed, to read the first two chapters of Luke. (laughs) This was not a normal holiday tradition for us. I think it takes, I don't know, seven minutes to read the first two chapters of Luke. And then when he was finished with that, he gave thanks for the food, prayed. We all said amen. My grandma said, well, John, my dad's name was John. Well, John, that was nice, but very long. (laughs) And then we all microwaved our food so that it was hot. (laughs) So that might not be the best time (laughs) to read God's Word, but could that not be a part of our Christmas celebration? To remember the Word of God, the great things that He has done. Mary remembered the Word of God. And she also recognized the power of God. Verses 51 through 53 say, He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich. He has sent away empty Mary says God has shown strength with his arm. This is a poetic way to describe God's power that's common in the Old Testament. Psalm 98 verse 1 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Mary needed to recognize the power of God to be ready for Christmas. She needed God's strength. I I can't imagine the comments and the scorn that she would have received 
in the first century when she was seen to be pregnant. All the comments and judgment that she must have experienced, the shame of what seemed like an illegitimate birth in a society where you would likely be shunned and legally, even if it wasn't that common, could be killed. But Mary recognizes that the power of God can overcome all of the worldly shame and judgment. The power of God that created the heavens and the earth. The power of God that had conquered Pharaoh. The power of God that provided manna from heaven for his people. The very power of God that had overshadowed her so that she was now carrying in her womb the Holy Son of God. Her words, Mary's, about the power of God have been described by some as revolutionary. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor and theologian who was executed for his vocal opposition to the Nazi regime, said in his sermon about this text on December 17, 1933, this song of Mary's is the oldest Advent hymn. It's the most passionate, most vehement, one might almost say most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. It is not the gentle, sweet, dreamy Mary that we so often see portrayed in pictures, but the passionate, powerful, proud, enthusiastic Mary who speaks here. None of the sweet, sugary, or childish tones that we so often find in our Christmas hymns, but a hard, strong, uncompromising song of bringing down rulers from their thrones and humbling the lords of this world, of God's power and the powerlessness of men. I love that Mary recognized that the power of God in her life was personal. Look at verses 49 and 50. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, she says. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary sings of God's power in her life. He has done great things for me she says. For all of us to get ready for Christmas, we too need to recognize the power of God made personal in our lives. What are the great things that God has done for you in the past year? It might be worth writing them down, sharing them around the Christmas table, sharing them with your family, with your friends, with your life group. If you're here today and you You've never thought about the power of God in your life. That you might personally experience God's power. I want to tell you that the unimaginable power of God dwells in the person of Jesus Christ. And God gave him to you. To receive the saving power of God through the gift of his son. In the baby who was born to Mary that first Christmas. And everything that is true of God is true of his son, Jesus. 
Jesus is our mighty God. Isaiah 9.6, for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God invites you to receive the free gift of salvation that is found in his Son, the power of God sent to the world for each and every one of us that we might experience God's power to save. Mary says as she describes the personal power of God that his name is holy. Holy is his name, she says. This does not mean that just his literal name is holy, but everything about him. That's the idea of name in Hebrew his character, his reputation, his acts, all that he has done and who he is are all described and wrapped up in his name. And his name is Jesus. Which means he shall save his people from their sins. And his mercy is offered to those who fear him. Not a terrifying fear, but a reverent fear, respect, admiration, acknowledgement of his great power, recognizing the power of God. It's another reason why Mary was ready for Christmas, because not only did she recognize the power of God, but she also realized her need for God. Mary says in verse 46 through 47 and 48, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. I want you to notice three words that Mary uses. My soul my spirit, and my Savior. Mary was ready for Christmas because she realized that she needed what only God could give her. Not gifts, not a great family meal, not fun traditions, but salvation. And to be clear, not some kind of political or social salvation, but the salvation of her soul. That is what only God could give to Mary. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the purpose of Christmas the salvation of your soul and mine. That is why Jesus came. And one of our major problems today is that we have so sanitized the purpose of Christmas. It has become so void of its actual purpose in our culture. It's the biggest holiday in the world. 
But how much of it is centered around the salvation of human souls? Our country and most other Western ones shut down for Christmas. But if we're not careful, we too can get caught up in the secular celebration of Christmas and miss its real purpose. Plenty of people do each Christmas. The New Testament scholar Tom Wright tells the story of when he was once preaching at a big Christmas service where a well-known historian, famous for his skepticism towards Christianity, had been persuaded to attend by his family. Afterwards, he says, he approached me, all smiles. I finally worked it out, the man declared. Why people like Christmas? Really, Professor Wright said. Do tell me. A baby threatens no one, the man said. So the whole thing is a happy event which means nothing at all. When we get lost in the sentimentalism of tradition, we're at risk of missing why Jesus came. And if we miss it, then Christmas really becomes nothing at all. A baby threatens no one. There are stories that Mary's song has been banned by regimes across the world because of the threat it made towards them, towards their powers being removed by the power of God. It's amazing that the birth of Jesus was so insignificant when it originally happened. No dignitaries, no world leaders present at his birth. The Roman Empire ignored it, but soon they could ignore it no longer, and the Lord Jesus was killed because of what he said, because he was a revolutionary in their eyes. And then within a few centuries, his followers had revolutionized the Roman Empire to the point of where it became a Christian empire. But if we're not careful, we can think a baby threatens no one at all. And Christmas means nothing. But why was Jesus born? He was born to die. And through his death to bring salvation to any and all who call on his name. Everyone, everywhere. And all that's required is for us to realize that we all need a Savior. Even Mary. Even the mother of Jesus needs to be saved by Jesus. She says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary knew she needed to be saved. And if Mary realizes her need for God, the one who all generations have called blessed, should we not also realize our need for him. We should all get ready for Christmas by realizing our need for God and receive what only he can give to us. And these are the true hearts that magnify the Lord, the ones who recognize their humility, 
and simultaneously the majesty of God. That he can do great things for us. Are you ready for Christmas? Let us be the people who remember the word of God. Let us recognize over the next five or six days the power of God in our lives. In the minute details of what happens, in the big events that occur, in the celebrations that we'll be a part of, let us recognize the power of God. And most of all, let us be the people who realize our need for God. This is Christmas. That God left heaven and came to earth as a baby. Not as a powerful, otherworldly figure. Not as a political revolutionary. But as a humble, in many ways, powerless baby. So that he could live a real human life experience pain and suffering and then go to the cross to meet our greatest need. If you have never received Jesus as your Savior and King, today is the day. If you have realized your need for God, you can call upon His name and ask for His help. It's why He came You can receive his mercy and his grace by calling on his holy name for salvation. And then join with Mary in saying, he has done great things for me. Merry Christmas. Lord Jesus, you are magnificent. And we worship you. We give you glory and honor and praise for who you are, the Holy Son of God. We give you thanks for the great things you have done, for the free gift of salvation that is offered in your name for any that calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus. I pray for any heart that is here today that has not yet asked God for help to meet their greatest need. Lord Jesus, through your Holy Spirit, would you speak, maybe quietly, perhaps powerfully into their heart, about the truth of why you came, of what you've done, of who you are, and what it means to believe. I pray, God, that you would prepare our hearts to be ready for Christmas so that we might worship Christ, the newborn King. Give Him all the praise and glory and honor that is due His name, and that You would fill our hearts with joy as we give thanks to Him for what He has done. We bless You, God, and pray in the mighty and powerful name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and worship Christ.